Hello, and welcome to The Too Deep with Tim Hoffman and Will Stone. I'm Will Stone, Tim Hoffman. Say what's up. How's it going, boys? We are and here. Girls. Oh, yeah, and girls. <laughs> we don't want to uh, preclude our audiences out here. But, uh, yeah, we're here week two of The Too Deep uh, where we're talking sports and life sometimes maybe and everything that happens to be going on today. We're talking the NBA trade deadline. We are talking the recap of Nebraska's signing class and later on in the show we'll have Husker signee offensive lineman Matthew Anderson from Leesville Louisiana three-star uh, should be a four-star in my opinion if not a five-star even five-star Fortnite player that's for sure uh, we'll have Matthew on later in the show talking about uh, his life and future with Nebraska Tim we're gonna start uh, talking Husker or not Husker basketball NBA basketball and we're gonna talk trade deadline winners and losers um, you know just just walk me through kind of uh, you know, your, your big, any, any quick takeaways you got any, any quick takes from NBA trade deadline? I mean, I would definitely say it was a lot less climatic than people were thinking, you know, the Pelicans and the Lakers, nothing really happened there. And there weren't many, weren't many huge trades, you know, around the board. But I mean, I certainly think, you know, looking at the trade list, the, I think the 76ers won the tra- trade deadline. Um, they've been playing well since the deadline. They got, uh, Tobias Harris, Boban, Marijanovic and Mike Scott for, and they gave away Landry Schmidt, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, and a few, and one first round pick and two second round picks. And, you know, is that, could that be a trade that puts them up to the, you know, higher standings in the East? I certainly think so. You know, they're kind of sitting in the middle of the pack there, but they definitely have the talent with Embiid and Ben Simmons to make their way to the top of the East. But we'll get to that later. Certainly seems like the, um, you know, kind of what they did with uh, Markel Fultz, flipping him for future draft assets and, you know, kind of shedding their hands. I mean, it's impossible, I, I don't think, to find a better winner of the trade deadline than the Sixers who rid themselves of a project that they seem to not want anymore and flipped him for... Uh, a player who has had some ups and downs, but is potentially good in Jonathan Simmons, and a uh, first-round pick and a second-round pick, I believe, if I remember that trade correctly, uh, really seems like they sold about as high as they possibly could have on Markel Fultz there. But uh, it definitely looks like, you know, since the deadline, they've been playing well. And even though they got rid of Landry Shamet, who has been absolutely torching it in the NBA during his first season, it sure looks like they uh, are kind of on the right path to some success in that Eastern Conference. But they're not the only Eastern Conference team that got significantly better, as the Bucks and the Toronto Raptors also made some trades. I've got some thoughts on the uh, Toronto Raptors, considering they their main deal went down with... Uh, my, my favorite Memphis Grizzlies there, but uh, the Raptors acquired a big man, Marcus Gasol, a uh, couple-time All-Star and uh, several-time All-NBA uh, Defensive Player of the Year even uh, at points in his career. Uh, and they're kind of, you know, they swapped him for, or they swapped, they acquired him by giving up DeLon Wright, Jonas Valanciunas, and I believe C.J. Miles in a second-round pick was the complete trade there. And the truth is, the Raptors, everybody's kind of hailing it as the Raptors making the move to get um, that piece that will push them toward the NBA Finals. And I really see, you know, some agreement to that, or I would agree with that to some extent. They uh, added a guy who shoots the three better than Jonas did or does, I guess. Um, but what kind of, I guess, you know, 
thrills me from a Grizzlies fan standpoint and should kind of thrill all Grizzlies fans is that Jonas Valanciunas was averaging or has a player efficiency rating of 25 this year and uh, Mark Gasol's is just uh, 18 and Valanciunas's field goal percentage numbers are a lot higher and uh, all that but the truth is you know it's kind of one of those good trades where you see wins for both teams and um, you know as the great Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto once said, you're not trying to swindle anybody. You're trying to find trades that work out for both teams. But uh, sure, sure, it looks like that might be it. But truth is, Sixers have some competition there, and the Raptors look good. We'll talk about the Bucks too. But, Tim, got any losers from the trade deadline? Um, I think the obvious choice is the Pelicans. I don't think you can pass up Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, you know, all of those guys that the Lakers were going to offer you and just not take them because, honestly, especially this year, you know, they're sitting at 25 and 32, um, 25 and 32 right now, and I think those guys could have pushed them to a possible, um, a possible playoff spot, you know, this year. And with all that young talent, you know, that would set up the Pelicans well and you know near future you trade maybe one or two of those guys getting you know a better player and i think you're set but now i i don't know what they're going to get from it for anthony davis you know i don't new orleans isn't a you know prime spot to play basketball you know and it's i don't know what they're going to get for him um you know obviously they should trade him but you know i haven't seen much you know i don't have much confidence in that you know, GM in that organization that, you know, they might just lose him to free agency and get nothing for him, you know. So definitely the losers, definitely the losers from that trade deadline by not making that move and, you know, set yourselves up for possibly the next 10 years. Yeah, the truth is with Del Demps not dealing, um, not dealing Davis, it definitely seems like a dumpster fire there a dempster fire, I guess, if you will. Uh, but definitely, truth is, not dealing Anthony Davis uh, seems like a, a kind of just just another example of how bad that front office has been. You know, you draft a seemingly generational talent in Anthony Davis, and you do not surround him with shooters or other players who can really kind of answer the call to be that supporting role. You know, the best thing they've really had in New Orleans is Drew Holiday and you know, last year they went and got Nikola Miritich, who they've since traded to the Bucks, and that was a great deal for the Bucks. We might touch on that one in a second, but the truth is that Demps never did anything to get any talent around Davis and keep a player like that happy. And you know, Julius Randle didn't pan out, and oh goodness, I'm trying to think. I, I it's just hard to even think of big name players that New Orleans has tried to you know, pair with Anthony Davis. Oh, Boogie. They had Boogie Cousins mm-hmm. for a little bit, but that clearly did not work out, and Boogie Boogie, Boogie walked, and it just, you know, it didn't work. And you you got to be better than that if you're going to have a player like Anthony Davis. So I would definitely have to agree that just another story in the saga of the mismanaging of Anthony Davis, um, a fitting kind of end. And as he's got one year left on that contract before – free agency of sorts, you know, cough, cough, one year left until he goes to the Lakers or, or however <laughs> those fans think. But um, the truth is he, the, the Pelicans have to trade him before the end of the season or else things get real awkward. And if they don't trade him before the summer, he's made it clear he's not re-signing and they're literally 
giving up, you know, nothing. I mean, the truth is his trade value probably could never have been higher than it was at the deadline, this deadline, because he has the most time left on his contract. He His contract is also not terrible. Like, it's not a big pain to deal with, and he had a year and a half left. Plus, you know, the Lakers were willing to give up the max possible. And so it just it just seems ridiculous that Dell Demps, you know, couldn't get that one out of there. But, um, you know, truth is, I honestly, you know, I would say that the Pelicans are my biggest loser. But the truth is, I also think the Charlotte Hornets really took a an L at the trade deadline there uh, by not acquiring Gasol. You know, it was widely reported on, oh, shoot, I want to say. So Wednesday night, wasn't it? It might have night been before the deadline. Yeah, I mean it was. It I think it was even Tuesday night. Yeah, uh, if if Wednesday if Thursday was the deadline, I think it was Tuesday night. They were reporting that that the Hornets were going to trade for Mark Gasol and you know add a big a player of that caliber uh, to their roster um, to kind of complement Kemba Walker uh, in a way and the kind of other veteran core that they have. Um, but then as the you know, deadline approached, the deal was dead all of a sudden, and they weren't willing to give up Malik Monk and a first-round pick, um, plus an expiring contract. You know, kind of the original reported deal was either Bismack Biombo uh, and uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist plus Monk and a first uh, to get Marcus Gasol. Uh, but they didn't do that trade, and I think Hornets fans are left now going, why didn't we overpay for a top-tier player? You know, we're overpaying slightly, but we're probably going to keep Kemba Walker at that case because we're showing Kemba that we are, you know, we're loyal to him, we care about his case, and we want to reward the loyalty he's shown to us by giving him top-tier talent around him. But the truth is, now they're staring down probably another 6-7 seed finish in the East, and the truth is the East got a lot better at the deadline, and the Hornets did not, and it's sad to kind of look at that one and say, you know, guys, what are you doing there? Mitch Kupchak, ex-Lakers uh, GM, was going to pull the old razzle-dazzle making a trade for a big player while the Lakers did nothing. But he ended up not doing anything, and the Hornets are the worst for it. So looking ahead after the deadline, uh, just heads up, you guys are listening to the 2 Deep here on KRNU2 with Tim Hoffman, Will Stone, myself. Uh, we are talking NBA trade deadline reactions, and now we are going to look ahead to uh, the rest of the season for the NBA. Tim, what are you seeing as we go forward? Who do you have? Who do you like? Who do you not like? Uh, we'll talk awards here in a second, but just from a team standpoint, what are your thoughts going forward? Yeah, let's, let's start in the Eastern Conference here. Um, Right now, as things stand, we have the Bucks in first place. They're a game ahead of the Raptors. Um, Pacers are third, Sixers are fourth, and Celtics are fifth. Um, then it kind of drops off with the Nets are sitting at that sixth spot, Hornets seventh, and then Pistons. Pistons and Heat are tied for the eighth spot. So you look at the East, and you're like one through five. That's definitely, I think, any of those teams could win the you know, once playoff time could win the East. Um, you know, right now the Bucks have, you know, a top five player in the league, top three, you know, give or take, you know, LeBron, LeBron, James Harden, you know, Durant, you know, one of those guys, he's he's certainly up there. Um, you got the Raptors who we talked about earlier who just made a big move and, you know, they're just sitting one game back. Um, you know, they could certainly, certainly make a move for that top spot and, um, Pacers, you know, you look at, I was looking at the Pacers roster because it's like, you look at their roster without 
Oladipo and you're like, where's this team going to go? You know, they don't have a big-time player, and it's, you know, is that going to be a team who falls off or is that going to be a team who stays consistent? And, I mean, we know how how tough it is to play in Indiana during um, playoff times. You know, we saw that with, you know, LeBron had so much trouble when he was uh, with the Heat there. And, I mean, obviously the Pacers team was probably better then than there are now, but that atmosphere is still the same. So, you know, you could see some damage damage get done there. Um, Celtics with Kyrie, Hayward, you know, all those guys, you know, I mean, Kyrie can just go off, take over, and, you know, he could win a couple playoff games. And you got the Sixers, who we talked about, you know, making probably the best move of the trade deadline. And, you know, they've won two straight. You know, they've, they're have six, six and four out of their last ten, but, you know, they've they've struggled on the road. They're 13 and four on the road, um, you know, 23 and six at home. So, you know, if, obviously you have to win on the road in the playoffs if you want to advance and – you know, as it looks right now, they might, they're probably going to be playing the, you know, they're either going to be playing the Pacers or the Celtics in the first round. That is no easy task. So, I mean, coming out of the East, I would, I'm going to go with the Raptors. Um, it's tough to play in Toronto. You know, the, probably maybe one of the best fan bases in the NBA and, you know, one of the toughest arenas. So, I, I'm going to take them in the East, you know, the West. I mean, I think, you know, there there's no one that's going to challenge the Warriors. Um, I mean, there there just really isn't. There's not that team this year, you know, the Thunder, maybe the Thunder. I will say this. If, you know, the Lakers are sitting in the 10th spot right now, they're two and a half games out of the 8th spot. If for some reason the Lakers get that 8th spot and they – I wouldn't – that is the last team I would want to see if you're the Warriors in that first round because LeBron's I, motivated. Yeah, I mean, what well, LeBron is the best player probably ever to play this game. Good. And, yeah, we, we, we've changed from the Michael Jordan train, you know, last year. But we'll get to that another time. But, yeah, I think, you know, if you're, if you're the Warriors and you're like, I mean, LeBron could single-handedly take that team to one or two wins and – you're stuck in a game six yeah. in L.A., it's you know, up 3-2, and it's like, you know, do you really want that? And then that yeah. might take a toll on you for yeah. the rest of the playoffs. If you have to go if you have to go seven games in your, you know, in your, for, first, series. In your first series when it's supposed to be one of the eight, then you're going to have to play a, maybe a Rockets or a Trailblazers or a Jazz or somebody. That might yeah. take a toll on you. But, I mean, I do think the Lakers will make the playoffs. It would I – don't, I don't know if I – if I've ever, I don't think I've ever witnessed a playoff that LeBron. No LeBron. <laughs> no LeBron. So I don't. Crazy. I don't know what I would do if LeBron didn't make the playoffs there. But yeah, I think they'll squeeze in. Um, yeah. I don't think the Nuggets have enough to compete there. You know, I think it's Warriors, Thunder, and if the Rockets, if the Rockets surround themselves. You know, besides James Harden, you know they could be dangerous. But yeah, I just don't see anybody overthrowing the Warriors. Resident NBA expert Tim Hoffman in the house, giving all his <laughs> piping hot NBA takes. Uh, there you have it. Um, you know, Tim, I know you said that Giannis Antetokounmpo is top five, but he's probably top two, and he's not two. He's uh, 
definitely the best player in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, just a talented freak athlete, and I like that uh, for the Bucks going forward, and especially after they added Miritich for the low, low price of Stanley Johnson and I mean, ultimately, I guess it was Thonmaker, but you know, they they ridded themselves of Thonmaker and a couple picks and turned that into Nikola Mirotic. So I definitely like the way that looks, kind of going forward for the Bucks. But aside from that, you know, I also like Warriors in the West and Raptors in the East. Probably is my pick as well. Um, obviously, like you said, Indiana loves their playoff basketball, and the Bucks are very, very talented and have a very complete team. But I do like the Raptors out of the East. Um, aside from that, Tim, who's your MVP at this moment? If you had to give the award, um, you know, who would it be? James Harden, no doubt. You don't, I think he's averaging 36 and a half points, something like that. Like you don't, I don't think you can do that and not get the MVP. You know, I know we were talking earlier about how Russell Westbrook is still averaging a triple double hmm. and you know, you got Giannis and all these guys, but there is, you know, we're we're seeing history. You know, we're seeing, you know, maybe one of the best scorers that the NBA has seen in a very long time of putting up numbers like that. But yeah, I think you have to give it to James Harden. Um, yeah, right now. So. I would probably concur. Um, you know, I think every year there's a case for why the most valuable player is LeBron James. But yeah. um, I like Giannis this year as well too. I mean, Giannis is you know, 28-6 and uh, almost 13 rebounds. So obviously that's a really padded stat line, and he's put up, you know, he has the Bucks at the best record in the NBA right now. And uh, I feel the same way kind of about Westbrook, like you just said. I mean, the guy's averaging a triple-double. This is his, you know, third straight season, probably averaging a triple-double. And, you know, that's just something that only ever Oscar Robinson had done. And Russell Westbrook is, you know, not the caliber player that Robinson is. And so the fact that he's, Averaging a triple-double while Paul George is also doing what he is, um, you know, at 28 points, four assists, and eight rebounds. Like, Paul George has a gaudy stat line of his own, and so Russell Westbrook to be averaging a triple-double just kind of is, is staggering to me. So I, I think there's cases to be made for those players, but I agree that James Harden at 37 points a game, eight, eight assists, and seven rebounds is kind of ridiculous, and I think ultimately we'll be looking at a back-to-back MVP winner there. Um don't think he'll be unanimous, but I think he'll be a um, pretty easy pick there. Well, y'all, you're listening to the Two Deep KRNU2, Tim Hoffman and Will Stone. We're going to go to break really quick, and we'll be back after talking Nebraska football and their signing, you know, day recap. You know, mostly just their 2019 class in general. We'll talk our sleeper picks, our favorite players, and. Uh, go from there and then later on we'll have Matthew Anderson Huskers offensive lineman signee on the show talking life talking football talking a whole lot of stuff should be fun we'll be back here in just a couple minutes And we're back here on the Two Deep with Tim Hoffman, Will Stone, myself, Will Stone, Tim Hoffman over there. Tim Hoffman, we're out of break. Tell everybody how you're doing. I'm doing great. We're it's, if Ronnie Green could pull out, you know, a snow day tomorrow, and it could snow about three more inches, that would just make my day. But I'm not liking our not liking our chances. So Ronnie, if you're listening, you know, fantastic. Come, come through. That is exactly what we like to hear, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we talked NBA earlier. We're talking. 
uh, National Signing Day uh, recap and the, the class of 2018, 2019, I should say, as a whole. Uh, Tim, let's just jump right into it. Huskers signed a lot of good players, um, some under-the-radar guys, some very much on-the-radar guys. Um, who is your favorite player in this 2019 class? We go with the obvious pick, uh, Wandale Robinson. You know, oh. got, got to go Wandale. Um, I watched his huddle highlights the other day, and I've never seen a guy who who's 5'9", 175, who can't be tackled. Like, there are so many plays where he just jukes a guy out, beats him to the corner, and he'd make four or five guys miss. You know, we saw that in the All-American game. He got that little uh, screen, screen play, and he broke three or four tackles. And it's like, is that, you know, he's electrifying. You know, we will get into him versus Rondell here in a minute, but, you know, the comparisons are there. And, you know, that was definitely a big, a big step for Scott Frost to pull him out of our or out of his home t- or out of his home state. You know when he was committed to Kentucky, and you know to get him is a huge, huge get for the offense. You know for Adrian and that offense of what they could possibly do next year in the Big Ten. And you know we use that word committed loosely because as the you know legend has it, we might need to ask Matt about this one later, but. Uh, Wanda was kind of committed all along to Nebraska, but faced that pressure from yeah. homeschool. But truth is, yeah, massive get for Scott Frost. And like you said, you compared him to Purdue's Ron, uh, Rondale Moore, who was a freshman All-American this year and uh, fresh, freshman of the year in the Big Ten, beat out Nebraska's own uh, Adrian Martinez. Goodness. Um, high, uh, for what it's worth, Adrian Martinez is probably going to win a Heisman at some point in his career, I believe. And, you know, the fact that Rondale Moore beat him out, and Wandale is possibly better than him. Speaks a lot to the player uh, caliber that uh, Scott Frost pulled there. My favorite player in the class, if not, if I'm not, if I can't pick Wandale, considering he's already taken, uh, I would probably have to say, hmm, I got I got a lot of favorites. It's a really good class this year. Um, got to go probably Nick Heinrich, honestly, from from Burke. Um, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily the the you know biggest most talented player that we got uh, but the truth is you know 18 months ago the kid didn't care about Nebraska had no interest in Nebraska didn't own any Nebraska stuff you know we've, we've all kind of read that story but um, for Scott Frost to show up when he did and then go a clean sweep five for five on offered Nebraska players and then the laundry list of walk-ons that he did I think that speaks volumes to um what that program, you know, what he's done for that team and stuff like that. And so my favorite would just be, you know, I mean, any of those Nebraska commits just because they do have that. You know, we've seen, you know, Nick Jewell and Noah Fant and um, players like that go different schools, contribute big time other places. And Nick Heinrich, you know, whether he, you know, pans out to reach his full potential or not, the truth is, there is a 0% chance that he is going to contribute freshman year for any team other than Nebraska. And, you know, that's kind of got to be a little bit reassuring for Nebraska fans to see that. But, Tim, next up, sleeper pick. Got a whole list of commits and, I don't know, what, 27 of them? And you've got to pick one sleeper. Who is it going to be? Sleeper pick. I don't know if it would necessarily be 
a sleeper. You know, he is a four-star, but I think offensive tackle Bryce Benhart could make an impact very early on in his career, if not this fall. Um, you know, once again, scout him out a little bit. He has great form. He has great feet, great stance, um, can really get off the ball. He's also six foot nine, three hundred, and yeah. lots of pounds. Yeah, lots of pounds, and who knows, very big man. Who knows how big he's going to get in over the winter? You know, here, but yeah, I think you know the way the offensive line is right now, and how much uncertainty there is. Uh, he could definitely, definitely make an early impact on his career here as a Husker. But yeah, I think you know, I don't know if he'd be a sleeper pick if he was. A wide receiver or a quarterback you know but offensive lineman you know no one really talks about him but yeah I think that's who that's who I think could make a big impact early on yeah there, there you have it uh we're out here on the two deep uh Tim Hoffman and Will Stone talking Husker 2019 recruiting class uh talking our sleeper picks favorite players who we see making the most impact in their career and early on uh, my sleeper pick gotta go Probably Jackson Hanna or I like Darian Chase out of Washington. I like those two. Um, you know, Jackson Hanna is kind of that player that, um, you know, really saw a lot of talent at Montgomery Academy out near Nashville. Um, just super talented player. But once he committed to Nebraska, he told his coaches, hey, I don't want to hear about my other offers. I don't want you to, you know. Tell other, you know, tell other schools I'm already committed. I don't want to see the letters I get from them. I don't want to hear phone calls from them. I'm committed to Nebraska. And because of that, we didn't really see kind of that high caliber, you know, recruiting drama that you get with some of those top tier players. And so in that case, you know, I feel like he's the definition of a sleeper. But the truth is um, he definitely has that talent uh, warranting of a player that can have a big breakout year. But I think Nebraska fans will kind of like that no-nonsense no I'm here to play football. I'm here to win games. I'm here to, you know, kind of do all that. And like I said, I like Darian Chase too. He's kind of that big-bodied, you know, player that can kind of fill in for Stanley Morgan. I've heard people saying he could contribute as early as this year. And, um, you know, he led his high school team to a state championship. And um, Union Union killed it in Washington's high school football season this year. And Darian Chase was a key part of that. And I know that's a big get that. Frost kind of was like, hey, we're going to offer you. We're going to have you on an official visit two weeks later, and then you're going to commit and sign with us. Really short, sweet recruiting period for Darian Chase there. But I, I like the what I see from him and, and all that. So sleeper pick, favorite pick out of the way so far. Tim, who do you think out of all the players in this class, you know, when it's all said and done four years from now, uh, or I guess five, depending on red shirts or whatever, five years from now when these players have all left Nebraska, give or take, um, who do you think we're looking at as the best Husker or most most successful Husker from this class? Let's go besides Wando. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so let's I go, feel like it's, let's go besides fair. Wando. I think we're looking at Luke McCaffrey. Um, really? I think so. You know, if he sticks it out, you know, obviously he has, you know, at least two more years behind uh, Adrian, you know, if he sticks it out. and This is a pretty hot take here. Tim. It's a very hot take. But, yeah, I think if he sticks it out here, um, he's re- received high praise from the coaches so far, you know, in just the, you know, month he's been here on campus. But, yeah, I think if he can continue to grow, um, 
you know, learn the offense, have two full years to learn the offense, know what Coach uh, Coach Verdusco uh, wants him to accomplish. I think he has the potential to be that next quarterback, and you know, he's got he's gonna have Logan Smothers behind him. You know, we offered a couple guys for um, yeah twenty twenty yeah twenty twenty one. So I mean, there's certainly gonna be that pressure there, but you know, I've heard that he's you know, he's coming in and he's fighting for that job, you know, even right now, you know, that's his mentality. And I think that's the mentality he has to have. Um, and, you know, who knows, who knows what can happen in a season. You know, we saw plenty of times last year of quarterbacks getting injured. You know, we experienced, or Nebraska experienced it firsthand with uh, Martinez. And, you know, is he call is, you know, will he receive some, you know, hands-on experience his freshman year you know we'd love to keep that red shirt on him you know play him less than four games I'm sure we will unless something really bad happens which I really hope doesn't but yeah I think he has the potential to be the next great quarterback in Nebraska for sure and I don't I don't want to you know take anything away from Luke McCaffrey as an individual because I'm sure you know he's trying to make a name for himself and he doesn't always have to be lumped in with the family members of his, but oh, yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, he is Ed McCaffrey's son and Luke McC- or, and Dylan McCaffrey and Christian McCaffrey's brothers. You know, he's got a pedigree. He's got, you know, it runs in the family, and there's no question that um, that talent and work ethic is there. I mean, Christian McCaffrey did not become, you know, the best all-around player in college football and probably even that same title in the NFL, the best all-around player in the NFL um, by not working hard. And, you know, Dylan's been a um, viable option at quarterback behind Shea Patterson at Michigan. And the truth is Luke will get that shot here if he sticks it out and, and is willing to be patient behind Adrian Martinez and get his reps when he does. You know, I think uh, Nebraska fans are all hoping that Nebraska has plenty of games this year where they're up by lots of scores and, you know, with the new redshirt rule, he'll get four four looks and, um, you know, mix in with whoever the named backup is, whether it's Noah Vedral or um, Luke McCaffrey, I guess, in, in that sense. And um, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I like what you're saying with Luke McCaffrey. Um, when it's all said and done, four years from now, best Husker for me, Goodness, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of guys that I like. Noah Polgate's obviously one of those. Uh, I think it's kind of hard though to say that. Yeah, the safety, um, safety had the best best career overall. It's hard to kind of measure those numbers because typically with defensive backs, no news is good news in the sense that if you're not talking about them, they're probably doing their job pretty well. Um, but uh, Polgate's also has that pedigree with um, Troy Polamalu being his uncle, as I've heard it reported. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. So I, I like Paul Gates a lot. Um, you know, honestly, I like a lot of the linemen. You know, was, you know, we talked Bryce Benhart earlier, and we're going to have Matthew Anderson on here in a few moments. But um, the truth is we got to give them some love. Michael Lynn, Bryce Benhart, um, Matthew Anderson. Brent uh, Banks. Brant Banks, especially. Fritsch, Fritschke. Jimmy Fritschke. Yeah. yeah. I apologize, Fritschke, if you're hearing this and we've <laughs> butchered your last name. But just know we're giving you some love. Uh you know, real athletic linemen that are expected to add some weight in the Duval system. If we've forgotten any other alignment, you know, I apologize. But the truth is there are a lot of 
good talents here that can add a lot to their frame and get really good um, really fast and contribute. There's openings on the offensive line too, you know, I mean, with Tanner Farmer departed and um, Gerald Foster Gerald Foster out. And, you know, the truth is the Nebraska offensive line was not great last year. It was especially not great two years ago. And Nebraska is still trying to kind of piece that identity together. And that spells early playing time for a lot of these guys. And if you have four years to kind of make a name for yourself, we're talking, you know, first round pick here, you know, for some of these guys. And, um, you know, we'll obviously want to, you know, look at that, and we'll, we'll obviously get a, a word from you know Matthew Anderson here in in a few moments on Nebraska offensive linemen and stuff like that, and we'll, we'll talk some good stuff. But um, yeah, I, I really like any one of those offensive linemen to kind of be one of those most successful people. And obviously, it's hard to get you know love to the offensive linemen, but you know we could be looking at our next you know Dave Remington or something like that. Cam Jurgens, you know, newly converted guy, and I know that's last year, and we can't really talk about that too much, but. While we're on the topic of offensive linemen, you know, I, I like what I'm seeing from that whole class going forward. And um, technically, I guess this is Cam Jurgens' first year classified as an offensive lineman, and yeah. he's a red shirt freshman. So you know, we'll lump him in for the sake of this. But I like I like where the um, incoming offensive linemen are at. So, yeah. Uh, Tim, otherwise, what are your other thoughts as we kind of prepare for this break and go to uh, Matthew Anderson next on the segment here on the Two Deep? What are your thoughts Nebraska football recruiting wise um you know I think this class I don't think this will be the best class Scott or coach Frost signs in you know any measure but I think this could be the class that kind of starts it all you know that kind of you know there's mentality you know I've we've talked to Matt you know before and it's like I won a national championship and I think that's the that's the mentality of a lot of these guys and you know, it's great. You know, we have 26 new guys who I believe have uh, bought into that culture. Um, you know, and a guy we didn't talk about who I think is technically not a recruit, but Darian Daniels mm-hmm. could be, True. I think is, might be the success story of 2019. And I think he could take that defensive line to the level it needs to be, you know, because truthfully, when you look at Nebraska's schedule, you have to beat Iowa, you have to beat Wisconsin, and you'll probably win the West, you know, most most years. And most what, definitely. You know, you have to be able to control the line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive end. and Especially uh, against a team like Wisconsin. Yeah, and, you know, Iowa, they kind of pushed us around. You know, both teams truly pushed us around. But, you know, with the Davis Twins back uh, – you know, they showed some great promise in that Iowa game of getting off blocks, getting some penetration. And, you know, we need that defensive line to be strong this year. And I think uh, Daniels' transfer from Oklahoma State is could be a big part to the Huskers' success in 2019. Yeah, Davis, Daniels, get out there. Oh. Which one? Oh, any of you. <laughs> any of you. You'll make it, you'll make it <laughs> any work. Any of you guys. Um, no, I, I, I like that. I mean, like you said, this this is the class to build on. You know, it's the first top 20 class for the Huskers since 2011. So, you know, eight years since this has last happened. And, you know, we're all talking about Scott Frost trying to get his first five-star. You know, uh, Wandale was almost it. But, uh, you know, we'll, we're looking down the uh, first five-star route, and we'll see where we go from there. But, um, yeah, it's a class to build on, and I think we'll see some success from this team. Uh, I think this class will make a name for themselves and, you know, really 
really produce some good stuff on the field uh, and hopefully off the field as well. But, um, you know, I, I think one thing we also didn't touch on with this class is the wealth that is uh, offensive weapons. You know, I mean, we didn't even bring up Ramir Johnson or Ronald Tompkins or Dedrick Mills or anything along those lines. You know, players that highly, highly touted. And, you know, Ronald Tompkins obviously coming off of injury will, you know, let his ceiling be determined at some point soon. But, uh, you know, you can hope that he'll return to full strength and that Dedrick Mills will be the kind of player that he seemingly was at Georgia Tech before bouncing back to um, Juco for a little bit. But um, the truth is, Scott Frost got to go, go to bed at night thinking, man, this is going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, you got a lot of De'Anthony Thomas, Tyree Hill-type players in this class, and, you know, in a, with a Scott Frost offensive weapon like he is, you know, you got to think, man, that's going to be a fun year. Well, I think we'll go to break now, and we'll have Matthew Anderson here on in a second, hopefully, chatting Nebraska football, life, and all that fun stuff. Uh, you're listening to The Two Deep here with Tim Hoffman, Will Stone on KRNU2, and we will be back shortly after the break. And we're back here on the Two Deep with Tim Hoffman and Will Stone. We're joined here with Matt Anderson. Matt, how are you doing right now? I'm doing great. Couldn't be better. How are you guys doing? We are doing fantastic. I think I speak for both of us, Tim. Oh, yeah, doing? we're doing great. Awesome. Awesome. So, Matt let's let's just get in right into it um you know you are now signed with nebraska um you spurned you know your other offers that you had and and you've had a great high school career down in louisiana tell us you know what are you most excited for coming to lincoln um the thing i'm number one excited for is to get with coach duvall um i've always been a um a good talent on the offensive line but i've never had um that great power that I've always wanted so I've always had to rely on on all my technique and that kind of stuff which I'll always maintain but um, I'm really excited to be able to manhandle some big guys at the Big Ten yeah exactly exactly oh what made you decide that Nebraska was the place you wanted to attend and continue your football and education career I mean I, I think I think this is like for pretty much every commit from Nebraska I mean the fan base alone um, I mean I went from having 100 followers on Twitter to having, like, 3,000-something. I mean, um, the fan base is unlike any, any fan base in college football. The fact that um, Nebraska's fans have stood loyal for so many down years, I mean, I think that speaks volumes, um, the loyalty that they have for their team. I mean, just the people. I mean, um, you, Tim, and Will, I mean, you guys are, like, some great dudes. Um, we play Fortnite every once in a while. <laughs> and, I mean, um, I don't know, just the students there are great. Um, everything about Nebraska just definitely meshes well with what I want. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, you know, Matt, we've kind of all, you know, read the the stories of, you know, kind of how your recruiting process went with Nebraska and kind of heard the legends of, you know, them double-checking to make sure you are actually indeed, you know, six seven and whatnot. But, you know, you want to walk us through a little bit of how that whole journey kind of shook out for you, you know, kind of going from, you know, where you'd never heard from Nebraska before to signing with them. How did your recruitment kind of go in that regard? I mean, it was crazy. I had a bunch of um, a bunch of smaller Division One offers at the time. And, I mean, I was getting talked to. LSU was coming by my school um, just to talk to me. 
I mean, I was getting relationships with a lot of big SEC schools, but all of them wanted to see me at a camp. And um, as a recruit, whenever you get, like, a camp offer, it feels kind of like a slap on the wrist. It's saying, like, your highlight tape was good enough, but we, we like, we're not sold on you yet. And that's mm. where Nebraska came in differently. They called me um, after Coach Hill texted me on Twitter. Um, he was like, hey, send us a picture of you in a doorway. Um, Coach Austin's very interested in you and that kind of stuff. So I sent them the picture. Um, the communication was always solid. They never, like, had me waiting, like, weeks for a response. Mm. They, um, Coach Austin later texted me and was like, hey, man, give me a call tomorrow. It was like 12, 12 at night. And, of course, I was still up. So I was – my inner monologue was, oh, no, what, 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 what <laughs> if he knows I'm up this late on a school night. So I was like, can I call you now because I just couldn't wait. And for some reason, my whole family was in the living room. And I called Coach Austin, and he says, "Hey, brother, how are you doing?" And, uh, <laughs> I'm telling him, I'm telling him how good I'm doing and all that. And I, he asked me how I'm doing. I tell him about the camp offers I have, and he was like, "Well, I just want to let you know that you at the University of Nebraska. We don't want to offer you no, you, we don't want to offer you no um, camp offer. We want to offer you a complete full ride to the University of Nebraska, um, and we want you badly and all that kind of stuff." And pretty much from the moment he said that, I could just tell like. I mean, it, it says a lot when a coach is willing to just recruit you off the bat and be the first Power 5 offer, because it, it is kind of hard for a school to really be able to to see, is this kid Power 5 um, material? And the fact that Coach Austin and all the other guys that assessed me um, were in agreement. I mean, that, that that speaks volumes. And it's just, it was probably the best compliment I could have ever gotten. Yeah, for sure. You know, kind of when you get that offer from, you know, Coach Austin, you're sitting there in your living room. Uh, kind of what, what was going through your mind when that happened? Oh, my gosh. It was... It was so many emotions, pretty much with every offer. Mm. The first thing I think about is, of course, my mom and why I'm doing it. And, I mean, um, uh, I don't know. I, just, I, I, I never in a million years thought I'd play any type of college football. Mm. Um, I was the same kid junior year when I started playing. I didn't think I'd even start. I just wanted a Letterman jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they shoved this kid who's 220 pounds on the offensive line. And I let no sacks up. I was I was beating kids that were 300 pounds. Mm. I was beating number one power lifter in the state. Wow. And I mean, just just that. I think it's my my uh, my play temper. I mean, I'm always I'm always on on the field. It's it's, it's really strange how aggressive I get because I'm I'm kind of a down to earth, funny guy. I love jokes, but um, I love that kind of intensity you get from football. So I mean, I'm really glad they saw that. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Take us through that in-home visit, you know, with all those coaches, you know, when they're sitting in your living room, like, you know, what, what was that like for you? Oh my goodness. To say, to say seeing Coach Frost in my dining room, just eating these cookies my sister made that are by no means gourmet. And he's like, hey, can I get a glass of milk? And I just like, wow, it's crazy. I just, the fact that I, or I was already a committed guy and like, they didn't have to worry about me switching schools. Um, even though those those were options to me, I mean, I've always been 100% committed to them. I've told um, major SEC schools when they ask me, like, sorry, I'm I'm committed, I'm not interested. And I mean, I just I can't wait because like I know for a fact all that loyalty is completely reciprocated. So I mean, it's just one of those like, it's one of those things that like, even though I'd commit, almost every one of the coaches that were in my recruiting process came to me in home multiple times. I mean, that's that's insane. Yeah. 
No, for sure, for sure. That's that's good stuff. I like the uh, the quote about Scott Frost asking for a glass of milk, eating your sister's cookies that were uh, less than gourmet. But uh, you know, a couple times we've talked and you've chatted about you know kind of the brotherhood aspect that exists with the you know current commits and stuff like that. Um, you know what what's been you know kind of your experience building relationships with the other players who are committed to Nebraska currently. It's it's amazing. I mean, I never thought I've always been that kid when I was little. Um, until I had football, I always wanted like a like a like a friend that was like a brother to me. And I found that with like a, a good friend of mine, Aaron Hunter, and that kind of stuff. But I mean, the fact that I've already found these bonds with these guys that like I haven't even met but one time in person, like Mike um, <laughs> Michael Lynn, he's the other offensive line commit. Um, that man, that guy is so so incredibly loyal and such a great friend. I'll FaceTime him because I'm bored, and if he misses my call, he texts me like a thousand times, you good, everything okay with you, and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's crazy. He just, he's always there for me. Um, he was one of the only guys, so it was my mom's birthday, I think, and um, he was one of the only people to ever, like, text me and say, like, how are you doing? I'm here for mm. you, man, if you need to talk. And I mean, just that, that sense of family, and I mean, I really feel it with this group of guys, and I'm, I'm so excited to win that's really what it takes to win in football. You have to want to win for the guy beside you more than you want to win for yourself. Mm. And I want to bring all those guys a national championship, as long as, as well as the fans. I really think this is a group that can get it done. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, what are your expectations for yourself personally? And then, you know, you kind of touched on it right there with the team aspect, but what are your expectations, you know, when you get here, uh, get here to Nebraska and throughout your four years? Well, I mean, firstly, education, of course. I'm uh, uh, Even if I do make it to the NFL, which, of, co- of course, is my goal, um, the NFL, as, um, as some of my favorite um, players have said, stands for not for long. And um, the chance to get a free education from such a great, great university like Nebraska, I mean, you can't, you can't just think of the football aspect because there's so many more opportunities that Nebraska's giving, that's giving me than just to play in front of thousands and thousands of fans. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, Matt, kind of, you know, walk us through a day in the life, you know, of Matthew Anderson down in Leesville. Uh, you know, wake up, go to class, work out, Fortnite. You know, I kind of summed it up there. But, you know, give us, you know, when you roll out of bed in the morning to when you get back to bed at night, what are you doing? Well, I, um, I wake up every morning about 6.45. I'm just sitting in bed thinking, why am I awake? Uh, <laughs> I roll out of bed about 7.05, get dressed, get my keys together, um, go into the, um, my, my kitchen, find something with calories, eat that, um, uh, think about how happy coach, um, coach would be if he knew that I was eating right. Uh, <laughs> and wait, wait, let me stop you there really quick. Just pause your day at eating right. Um, you know, you're trying to gain weight here. So when you say eating right, what does that look like? Oh, definitely not with the wide receivers and running backs. <laughs> I'm definitely enjoying some good old-fashioned triple cheeseburgers and all that good stuff. But I mean, it's, it's crazy that I'm able to eat the way I eat and still maintain a semi-okay shape. I, uh, I go to the gym. So on a good day, I can make it three times a day. Wow. Um, even though the last time is more just me on the treadmill kind of jogging. Um, and in the sauna, I, uh, I, I don't know. I started loving going to the gym. I kind of got to the point where I don't get sore anymore, which is a, a huge bonus. I'm, I'm sure Coach Duvall is going to find something that'll make me uh, <laughs> physically dead. But um, I don't know. Just the, the 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 process of trying to gain weight for a sport 
is so strange. You get to the point where you're eating your favorite food, and you're just, like, chewing it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I do not feel like eating this, and you have to eat it. So, I mean, it, it's definitely a good problem to have, though. I'm not complaining. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, anyway, yeah, so going back, you kind of touched on it there with the uh, going to the gym, trying three times a day or whatever, but, uh, you know, we stopped you at eating breakfast. Where, where does your day go from there? I get in my truck. Um, that has a little Nebraska thing on the back. I love it. Uh, some decals. I, um, I drive to school. I only have four hours, um, which absolutely stinks because it's like, it's not enough class to where I'm like, wow, I'm happy that I came to school. It's like I woke up and I'm, it's 11 a.m. and I'm still like, you know what I mean? I'm, it's 11 a.m. and my school's done. But um, it gives me an opportunity to kind of go, go in, go to the gym, get my stuff knocked out, have time for homework, social life. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely have kind of a busy day, um, but I can't, I can't just do nothing. Whenever I'm not going to the gym, I'll just look in the mirror after my shower and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got to get ready for the big 10. Those, those are some big boys yeah. and the little guys, the little guys get beat up and I'm definitely not going to be beat up. <laughs> so yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, you know, separates you from other offensive linemen, you know, what do you bring to the table that you don't think other people may have? I think I probably have the nastiest streak of the offensive line. <laughs> um, uh, I definitely don't like the guys in front of me. I want to um, cause pain to them in any way I can. Of course, I'm not going to put my team in a situation where we get 15-yard penalties every time. But um, I'll, I'll definitely do anything to make sure my team is okay. I um, During practice, for example, a, um, a linebacker, he kept um, he kept hitting the quarterback um, or running back, and he was stepping on my guy. Um, so I had to kind of um, lower my pads on him a couple of times, and I made sure it didn't happen again. I, I hate, I absolutely hate whenever my skill guys get punished for doing their job. Because I mean, my job is to make sure they don't get hurt for doing their job. So when they do get hurt, I take that personally. And um, I, I'm I'm all for making the team better and getting hit, but you're not going to hit my running back without getting punished for it. So. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely have this sense of um, of family on that field, and I, I could I could hate the running back I'm playing for, um, but at the end of the day, he's trying to win for me, just like I'm trying to win for him. And uh, I don't know. I I, I I can't describe to you the the anger I get if somebody steps on my running back, or like if somebody if somebody tries to blindside one of my receivers. I'm 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 the first guy running over there, even if it's fifty yard um, fifty yard bomb, and they miss it. I'm still running over there to pick my wide receiver up because I don't. I don't play any games when it comes to my guys. You're not gonna, you're not gonna mess with my dudes without getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, you know, Matt, we've talked a little bit, uh, you know, about kind of your recruiting process, and you know, you kind of uh, taking a little bit of a less than traditional route. You know, you didn't take any other official visits. You know, whether or not you wanted to or not, but um, you know, you didn't kind of have some of that hype that some of the other people have, and so you know. If I'm just, you know, scrolling 24-7 or whatever, I see, you know, Matthew Anderson, you know, mid-level three-star prospect, you know, I may not think much of that. Um, but, you know, what what do you, you know, what would you tell people, um, you know, to kind of, you know, show them otherwise that you are, you know, actually, you know, a talent that just kind of got overlooked? Well, I mean, if you look at my 40 time from that All-American camp I went to, and if you look at the film, it doesn't lie and it shows that I'm dominant at the line of scrimmage, um, that I'm not afraid of contact. But at the same time, I don't think anybody really realizes this, but I tore my meniscus hmm. um, halfway through my junior season. 
and um, I don't know, the adrenaline, I didn't even know I tore my meniscus. I was hitting new maxes on a torn meniscus, definitely not what I was supposed to be doing on <laughs> it um, because I didn't want to let my team down. Um, so, I mean, almost every camp I went to, I had a, a very severely torn meniscus. Yikes. Um, and I got that surgery um, midway through the summer. Uh, my first game of the year, I had one practice before the season because my meniscus was um, was kind of taking a while to heal. So I went into that game, um, quite honestly, just like angry. I was so mad that anything could have happened to me. I, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just impressed by myself with the, with the kind of, with the kind of um, grit it took for me to kind of continue that. Um, I didn't, I didn't go to any other camps. I went to one All-American camp and got my stars, and I think that that speaks volumes because a lot of guys have to go to camps a thousand times and all that kind of stuff. I, I was invited. Uh, my coaches did not contact anybody. Um, I, I had to do it, like, not by myself, of course. My coaches were a large part in my success. I'm not trying to diss them in any way, but I definitely I definitely went to one camp and got my stars. And I, I honestly believe if I would have been 100% healthy and if I would have taken the time to try to go to more camps, I, I don't I don't doubt that I could have gotten more stars regardless of my size. Um, uh, I think just my, my will to not lose is stronger than most people's. And, I mean, I, I – I feel as though I'm underrated. I uh, I understand why, of course. I don't have all the all the stuff, but I mean, whenever I told people at the beginning, coaches would ask me, or if I was on a if I was on a radio talk, talk show, they'd ask me how many official visits are you taking, and I always said one because of my loyalty to Nebraska was so strong. And I mean, of course, every athlete wants to take as many officials as they want. Yeah. It's so much fun. Um, but I, I definitely I definitely believe my word. Um, it's supposed to mean something, and the fans have shown me so much love. I felt like it was only right that I showed them the same love back yeah. um, by not taking other official visits or not talking to other schools. Um, I had the Hoosiers hit me up, and they wanted to talk, and they said if I was interested, I had an offer. Um, uh, Mississippi State will Miss. Um, uh, and, like, it, it's, it's moments like that where I don't think I, I, I might have not have um, – told too many people about it so i mean i can't complain about it but at the same time i kind of love that under the radar because i can't wait for somebody to be like yeah. hey who's that 72 kid that just like threw that kid around <laughs> like he was a rag doll i mean that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna bring my nasty streak to nebraska because i mean if you look at those national championship teams they always had somebody they had dominican sue who was just notoriously just good at being bad yeah and uh and so many other times i mean nebraska is amazing when they play smash mouth football and that's the only football I like to play. Um, so I just I love I love murdering somebody, punishing a linebacker, punishing a DB, um, getting out in that open field and just like just going through somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, of I went through some photos. I went I went through some photos. I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, I know I know Tim did. Um, I went through I went through some photos that my dad took because I haven't gone through, and I have a thousand photos of me just walking over guys and they're just like crippled <laughs> on the ground. And it's just, it's crazy. I'd, I'd never in a million years thought that I'd, um, I'd be able to unleash this, like, I guess, inner rage I have. But, I mean, I'm forever grateful for having a sport that I can do that in. For sure, for sure. Well, Matt, that's about all we got for today uh, with you. But thanks for, you know, hopping on here and joining us. I'm sure we'll, you know, chat here soon. But, you know, thanks for, you know, coming on and, and talking, you know, sports and stuff. And we're excited to get you on campus here soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. I can't wait. Yeah, man. Catch you later. And that was Matt Anderson, everybody, you know, live in studio, well, not in studio, but uh, via 
Leesville, Louisiana, and we hope you enjoyed that. Uh, this is about all the time we have on the Two Deep. Uh, Matt, as you can tell, has a nice personality about him, and he's always down to talk. But, you know, you've been listening to Two Deep here with Tim Hoffman, Will Stone, and we are out for this week. We'll be on same time, same place next week, and we're excited to be back with you. Tim, any final thoughts? Not really. Thanks for listening. Yep. See you guys next week.